thank you guys for having me, man. I've been looking forward to this, and when you, when you called me and asked me about the days, um, oh, hey, guys, y'all are up there in the balcony. Uh, it, it was, uh, I had the date open, and then I looked and noticed that uh, with the children's home, that's our trail ride. That's our biggest fundraisers today at uh, the Coates Farm. I don't know if you've heard of that before, the North Alabama uh, Christian Children's Home. Oh, well, hey, brother. Good to see you. Uh, and it's, uh, it's our biggest tr- fundraiser. We'll raise about $50,000 tonight. We have an auction and everything. And I thought, I'll be fine. The auction starts later on in the day. I'll go by and take care of everything. And I got a call not long after I'd scheduled this and said, oh, by the way, you missed the last meeting. You're now the treasurer. So I missed a meeting, and they made me the treasurer. So when I leave here, I've got to run over there to the trail ride and count the money for tonight uh, of all the stuff and pe- let people use my phone to pay with their cards when they buy. It's a bunch of junk. But people will pay for it for the children's home, and it, it, it's a great fundraiser. But I, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm excited about it. you got a great turnout. you got a, a great facilities. Uh, I knew of Midway. I didn't know this church building existed. And uh, this, is, this is very nice. And I'm looking forward to sharing some thoughts with you today and um, uh, being with you. And hope maybe some encouragement. Step on our toes a little bit as men. Uh, but I think that's okay. I think we need that at times. But also to just make sure we know what our proper role is. And when I talked with him, I thought it would break it down into three separate sections. You know, leadership in the home, leadership in the church, and leadership training, so to speak, for the future generations of kids that are coming up. And I think that's the, I think that's the way to go because everything starts with the church is important. The church is a wonderful institution, but God gave us the home first. And the reason why he gave us the home first was to help us understand what the church would be. I mean, how many times do we talk about the church as our family? You know, it's a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have our father. Well, where, do we, where else do we use those terms? At home. We use them at home. And a lot of the problems that we have within our world today... We blame a lot on churches not doing things. We blame a lot on churches going off in the wrong direction or taking uh, more liberty than they probably should. We use that term liberal and do something. But a lot of those problems could be stopped if we started and did it right at home. If we fix things at home first, that would change a lot of the issues that we have. And so I started looking. And this... This goes back years ago. We started doing something at Woodlawn. I preached a sermon at Woodlawn on um, uh, the father's role of the home. It was like a Father's Day lesson. You know, it was one of those usual ones. And I just mentioned as a side note in my lesson, I said, we need to be doing home studies with our family. We need to have some devotional time with our family. How often do you pray with your family? And I'm not talking about the meals. I mean... TV's off, phone's out of the way, you're sitting in the den and you just want to 
you just pray. Let's just, let's all have our prayer before we begin our day or a prayer before we go to bed. Let's all do this together. Talk about our day. And I just mentioned that. And maybe sit down and, and do a little Bible reading and have a little devotion. It doesn't take 10 minutes. It wouldn't take 10 minutes out of your day. And who among us wouldn't want to do that with our children, with our family and start that? And I, I just said it in passing, to be honest with you. And I had a text message that night from one of our men who was a faithful brother who had been at a congregation down the road and a few years back moved homes and moved closer to us. And he said, Matt, I would love to do that. This deacon in the church said, I would love to do that. But I don't know how. And I thought, seriously? And I talked with my wife that night, and then my next meeting with the elders, I talked and I said, you know, these, I guess we, maybe my naiveness, I just assumed we knew how to do that in the church. But obviously we don't. And that may be why we're not doing it. I think there's a lot of guys, I mean, if you're, your fathers, your grandfathers, your uncles, your brothers... Your, you know, your cousins, you have the heart. You want everybody in your family to go to heaven. You, you want that. And you want to do whatever it takes to get there. And maybe you haven't done that, kinds of, those kinds of things, because you just simply, you didn't know where to start. So I started looking. We, we, we developed a plan. We called it the Home Devo. And I was hoping that, uh, you know, we wouldn't get sued because I said the Home Devo... You can do it. We can help. You know, uh, off Home Depot. But, uh, and what we did was we developed a series of, you know, devotionals. And we've been doing this for about seven years now. And I, I, don't, know, I've, I don't know how we're going to do it next year. But we would write a devotional every day. Uh, and we had it patterned out every day but Sunday. And it's on our website. And we just encouraged when we first started it. We said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make this a year of, of trying to get closer to God as our family. This is what we're going to do. We're encouraging you to download it on your phone. Uh, if you sign up for it, it sends you an email of the little devotional. It'll be this. It'll be the daily Bible reading. Some years it goes with the daily Bible reading. Some days it's just a, sketch, you know, just a topical kind of thing. And me and a couple other guys, we started writing those things. And then it got so hard to write a devotional every day. That got tough. So now we're recycling some of those and doing those that we did before. And we just said, here's what you do. You just get with your family. Get one of your boys. Hey, read this to us. Get your other son. Hey, will you pray tonight for us? And, and do this with your family. And just see what happens. And I think it's helped. We don't have a perfect family. My kids sin, just like everybody else's kids sin. But I, when we design that concept, we, we looked, the elders and myself and a couple of my buddies, we began to look. And I, and I, I started searching. I put out there on Facebook, you know, uh, to get feedback from other families about what they did to help their families to be more spiritual and to be the, to, for the dad to be the leader that he needed to, do, to be. And got all kinds of stuff. And then I started looking through the scriptures. And you start looking at 
families like Noah's family. Noah lived in a world where the thoughts and intents of man's heart was evil continually. Yet, for the most part, what we understand was Noah's family was righteous. Now, they may not have been as devout as Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We don't know their wives' names. We don't know Noah's wife's name. But there's something about their family that stood out to God in the midst of everybody else. What was it? What was it about his family that made the difference? When you look at Abraham's family, I mean, we have a long lineage of people. What made the difference between Abraham's family and the other families that were all around him? What was the significant factor there? And then you could start looking at other people in the Bible and other stories. Now, we have a lot of stories where we have a lot of failings. For instance, Eli, high priest, judge. Think he would know how to... He's, he's in charge of the people and offering the sacrifices for the people. You would think he would know how to handle his own children, but he didn't. Hophni and Phinehas were wicked. They ended up dying. And you remember the word came to Samuel about that, that they're going to be killed because of their wickedness. When Samuel said, here am I, or when he went to uh, Eli over and over again, thinking, I'm, I'm here, uh, Eli, did you call for me? He said, no, I didn't. And it was the Lord, and he's telling him what's go about to happen. And I always thought how that would be when, you know, Samuel's eating his Cheerios that morning, and Eli's talking to him, well, what did the Lord tell you? And then he has to tell him. But then when you get to the end of Samuel's life, towards the end, and the people ask for a king, we always taught that the people wanted a king to be like the other nations, and they did. But you also know why they also didn't want to have, they wanted a king? is because Samuel's kids were wicked too. And Samuel was going to make his kids judges. And they were not what they needed to be. And the people feared them. So we have example after example of that. And we can see what causes that problem. But what about these good families? What about families that you know? People that you know have a great lineage of male leadership in their home and in the church. What's different about their family than the others? What do they do different than the others do? Is it just the luck of the draw? Is it, is it just in their relationships with other people? Is it their personalities? No, no. If you want to be the godly leader in your home, if you want to bring your family closer to God, the only way that's going to happen, I got, I got four words for you that I'm going to say them. I hope I say them a hundred times. I wish I had somebody count. I probably won't say them a hundred times, but I wish I did. But it, it's going to have to be this way, all right? And they all kind of say the same thing. It's going to have to be intentional, it's going to have to be deliberate, planned, premeditated. Intentional, deliberate, planned, premeditated. Sounds like a weatherman, doesn't it? You know, dedicated, determined, dependable. You know, um, intentional, deliberate, planned, premeditated. None of this happens by accident. 
Noah just doesn't flippantly raise his kids and think, oh, they're righteous, and that's going to be a good thing for us. He was intentional in what he did. Now, we don't have what he did. But if you want to have a godly family, you have to take the leadership roles, you have to take control, and you have to lead in the right way with intent, be deliberate in your actions, planned out, premeditated. Because kids going to heaven, kids growing up to be faithful Christians, just doesn't happen by accident. It happens because there's stuff put behind it. Okay? Now, this is where it falls on us. So I've got a few things that I want to share with you that I think will help this. The first thing that I want you to see, you're going to find in Proverbs. Uh, you got your Bibles with you. You're supposed to. It's not church, but we're in church building. Um, Hebrews eleven fourteen. The first thing you got to do if you're going to be intentional, deliberate, planned, premeditated is you got to have somebody to, somebody to spearhead the efforts. Somebody to take charge. All right. Look at this verse in Proverbs eleven fourteen. Now, I've got the ESV, but I want to welcome your versions to see what you say. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Where there is no guidance, what do you got? What other, what other word do you have instead of guidance? Where there is no counsel. Anybody else have anything different? So we got guidance and counsel. And counsel is used, or counselors is used later on. But then when the people falls, is that what it says? A people falls? A people fall where there's no guidance. But in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Is that my phone buzzing over here? Yes, it is. I have a gentleman at church that likes to call me and tell me where he's at in his daily Bible reading every day. <laughs> Sorry. Counsel. This Hebrew word for counsel that's used here, where there is no guidance or where there's no counsel, means steerage. S T E E R. A-G-E. I love this. Steerage. Typically with ropes. So when would you steer something with ropes? There's a couple examples of this. When would you steer something with ropes? Well, maybe with a, a horse. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Watching Bonanza. You know, there you go. Which, by the way, I take a guy to the doctor... Every Wednesday, in the, in a wheel, he's in a wheelchair, he's spina bifida. And when I take him, they show two episodes of Bonanza back-to-back -back at the waiting office, uh, in the waiting room. And that is an awesome television show. Man, I love Little Joe. You know, anyway, that's, I, I digress very quickly. But this word steerage, you, you know, you got the ropes and you, you pull one way, they, they go this way. You're steering 
with ropes. Somebody else brought this up to me. Where's another way that you steer with ropes? A boat, sailing, you know. And that would have been a lot of what they were talking about here, you know, probably, with, you know, steering the rope, pulling the ropes, putting the sail out, steering. So look at it that way with that word steering in your mind, this, this word picture. Where there is no steering, the people fall. If you don't have somebody to steer, the people fall. Now, you could not imagine getting in your car. Well, I guess you can today with drivable cars. Um, of just cranking it up, putting it in drive, and letting your hands sit down and push the gas. You wouldn't drive your kids around like that. You wouldn't get on the interstate again, even if you have a drivable car. That scares me to death. Put it in drive, hit the gas, just fold your arms and just wait with your family in your car. That sounds ridiculous. You're just asking for an accident. You're going to veer off the road. You might hit an 18-wheeler. You're in risk of your life, your family's life, the lives of someone else in another car. You would in no way, shape, or form hop in a car and expect to get somewhere without steering the wheel to get somewhere, to make your turns. And when you make your turns with the steering wheel, you make them intentional. You, you even plan them. They're, they're deliberate. They're premeditated. When you see a car with their brake lights on, you steer to get in the other lane. You, you have pre, uh, pre-seen what's going to happen there, premeditated how you're going to make the changes and what's going to happen. You know how to do that. I like to call this driving the bus. If we want our families to be closer to God, it's not going to happen by accident. If you want spiritual kids, it's not going to happen by accident. Somebody's got to drive the bus to get them there. If you look at this, this is where I want them to go. This is where they are. Somebody's got to load them up and take them there. Well, who's that supposed to be? That's the dad. That's the role we've been given as the leader of our home. And we have so many people that aren't driving the bus. They're expecting somebody else to drive the bus. They want the church to drive the bus. They want the government to drive the bus. They want their Bible class teacher, their youth minister. They want mom to drive the bus. But we're supposed to drive the bus. This is our responsibility in how we lead it. If you don't know how, that's okay. We got some ideas to help you start. But if it's not going to happen by accident, when you look at Deuteronomy 6, when you look at that passage there, this is the Shema, you know this, you know this passage, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words I command you shall, today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. This is directed to the males for the most part. You see son, 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 sons all mentioned through here. As if a father is talking to his boy. 
implying that the daughter would be talked to as well, of course. But you see this, this is Moses, this is God to Moses to the men of Israel. This is what you must do. You need to teach them diligently to your children. When you talk to them, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant and when you eat and are full, lest you take and forget the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now here's, here's what's happened. Churches used to be a lot fuller. Used to be a lot fuller. Dads and moms and families would bring their kids. They would come to all the gospel meetings. They would come to all the various activities that they had. Bible class was an important thing. You did your lesson before Bible class, right? You remember that? You had books that you filled out. I don't know if you still do that here. You had books that you filled out in Bible class, and the teacher led the discussion. You were supposed to do your classwork before you got to church. That's the way it was years ago. But as times have changed, we kind of slacked off a little bit like that. Well, we don't have to do it that way. We could still do it other ways. Still do, still be advantageous to us if we do it this way. We just don't have to do it that way. And what happens is you begin to slack off a little bit. And then that group begins to slack off a little bit. And the next generation begins to slack off completely. And, and I, I, told a, I told this one guy, faithful man of, our, of, of, of the Lord in our church, but he had trouble for a while being faithful. He was in my youth group, and I loved him. He was one of my leaders in my youth group, came to be with us. Um, and uh, his family were very faithful too. But he was like, well, I can, you know, I, I, I know what I'm supposed to do, Matt. I'm not going to be judged by missing a Wednesday night service here or there. It's okay for me to miss here if I'm tired, if I'm wore out from work. And he, he began to talk about things like that. And, and, and he, kids have a lot of homework on Wednesday night. And I said, that, you know, that's your prerogative as a father. But here's what your kids see. Your kids see that that's not important. You may think you can handle it. You may think you can handle that. But your kid, they don't have the background that you had. They don't have that family background that you had. So they may stay faithful, but they'll be less faithful than probably you are. What's that going to do to their kids? And what's that going to do to their kids? So pretty soon, you got a group of family members grandkids, great-grandkids that don't go to church at all. And you don't understand why. Because somebody didn't drive the bus. Somebody didn't drive the bus. He says in this text that when you teach these things all the time so that when you get into that land and those generations after, 
so they don't ever forget what God has done for them. Don't we have a culture today that's forgot what God has done for us? You know, we listened last night to uh, Dr. Ben Carson, you know, the guy who ran for president a few years ago. He spoke at our Marshall Benefit Dinner last night and talked about this very thing and just said, we have not been teaching our children the Word of God. So when they don't know it, when they're old, we're partly responsible because we didn't do it. Yes, you be the disciplinarian. Yes, you, you be uh, the, 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 the breadwinner that you have to be. But your primary goal when you decided to have a wife and to have children is to raise those children in a godly way. You said, I'll drive that bus. All right, that's what your job is. If you're not driving it, hop in. And this, this is how you do it. You, you begin, you look at the history of all these people that had faithful families. Here's a couple things. You got to have yourself, this is how you do it, Dad. You got to have yourself a family altar. That sounds weird, you know. Well, I'm talking about having an altar for burnt offerings. <laughs> Not necessarily. But when you look throughout the Bible, when, when you go throughout the text, you know, we can look at all kinds of passages. We Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, if you want to write these down. Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. Chapter 13, verse 4. Chapter 35. When you look at Abraham and then later Jacob, what they do is, is they go to these places. And when they go, they, the first thing they do when they go to this new city is they set up an altar. Now, yes, it's where they offer sacrifices to God. We know that. It's where they offer sacrifices to God. But even when uh, Isaac goes back to Bethel and rebuilds the altar that his father had had when he was at Bethel, like, I'm going back home to start things over. You know, and Jacob does, you know, he builds those altars for his family when he travels. This is, our, this is an altar that we're offering to God. It's not called the family altar, of course. And I'm using this for, you know, illustration for us to see. And of course, we're not going to have an altar at home. You, you don't have an altar. You don't have a place like that. Your grill doesn't count. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. What I mean is, is you've got to have a place at your home that God is going to be the focus for a period of time. A place or a time where there's free of distractions. Now my kids are 20, she's 22, she's getting married in a few weeks. I have a son that's 18 and another son that is uh, 16, he'll be 17 in August. When they were younger, everybody, for a while our altar was in the den. By the coffee table. TV's off. Put your phones on the coffee table. Carter, it's your turn to read. You gonna read the devotional or you gonna read something on your own? I, I'm gonna read something I read at school today. Okay. Read that text. What'd you like about that? What did that text say to you? What's it about? 
Well, it's about David and Goliath, you know. Man, isn't that a good story? Yeah. What would you learn from that? Carter? Carson? What did, what did you learn? I have Carter and Carson, and I call them... If you got two boys, you call them the same, you call them the wrong name all the time, so I'm not alone? Okay, yeah, got it. Carson, what do you, what do you think? Mom, you got anything to say? All right, that's great. So what are we going to pray for today? All right. All right. All right, I'll pray tonight, all right? So let's pray. We pray. Every night? No. No, there'd be times we'd get in from ball games. They'd be asleep. There's all we could do to get them out of the car. Get them in the bed. But for the most part, we tried to do that. And I think it's helped. My kids aren't perfect. But I got a kid that can preach better than I can. I'm proud of him. I got a younger kid that's coming up. He can lead singing great. He could preach. He just don't want to. <laughs> I think that made a difference. That's our family altar. It moved as we got older. It moved to their, the boys' bedroom because they had buck beds. They'd lay in there. The daughter's bed was in the next room. She'd come in there, and we'd all sit in there before they'd go to bed. And that's what we do. You got to have a place. Now, I understand. Most of your kids, some of you guys, your kids are older now. They're, they're out of the house. But you know what you can do? You can do this with just your wife. And you can see how your life is going to change from that. And you can do this when your grandkids spend the night with you, if they do that. I'm sure they do that, don't they? So, my mom cooked chocolate gravy and biscuit the next morning on Saturday. You've got an opportunity to do something there to make a statement. So you've got to have somebody drive the bus. You've got to have somebody somewhere where you've got a family altar set up. And an altar is a place where sacrifices are made. That, that's the whole point of an altar, where a sacrifice is made. And what you're doing is you're saying, I'm sacrificing my time, my wants, my desires for this time with my family and God. That's the sacrifice. That's why we call it the family altar. Because when they went to these different places and they set up an altar, that was their house of God, so to speak. You know, is this really the house of God? No. You know, now we have our, the temple. We're the temple. Christ lives within us. So anytime we're gathered together with the purpose of Him... He's glorified in that. Somebody's got to drive the bus. That's you. you got to have yourself a family altar. And there's got to be a sense of urgency. There has to be a sense of urgency. I think my wife counted down. We have like 12 nights left that our daughter will be at home in her bed before she's married. I will have an influence on her still. I'll still be paying the car insurance probably. 
you know, and uh, I'll, I'll always have some sort of influence, I hope, over her. But those nights where she's at home and I walk in there to kiss her goodnight, or when I leave in the morning and she's still asleep, they're almost over. And you know this because people told you this when you had kids that it flies by. But you don't realize it until it's over, do you? You don't realize it until it's over. My son is going to be going off to college. They, last night, I'm trying to prepare myself for life without kids. You know, I'm terrified of it. I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, we spend most of our time at ball games. You know, I keep the clock for the basketball games. I keep the clock for the soccer games, which is much easier than the basketball games. Soccer games, you just click go and you watch. You don't have to stop the clock. And you just put plus one for the score. That's all. Basketball is pretty tough. But we also clean the gym for extra money to help out because I've got to pay for a wedding, you know. So we're doing these things, and so it's my, our lives are centered around the kids. There's going to be a time when it's just going to be me and my wife, and they're going to have their own families to be centered around, and they're not going to be coming around as often. So the time that I have them is very, very short. So there has to be some sort of urgency that we got to have because we don't have long with them. I mean, we could look at passage after passage about how this world is not our home, you know, how, how we're longing for, Hebrews talks about longing for a, a home and a land that is, that is beyond this one. We better have a sense of urgency to prepare our kids for that. Somebody's got to drive the bus. You got to have a family altar. You got to have a sense of urgency. And you got to have callous knees. I know you pray for your kids. But when was the last time you really got down on your knees to pray for your kids? Now, obviously, you don't have to do that. You know that. Some of us, if we get down on our knees, we don't know if we're going to get back up. <laughs> you know, but, but the, the concept, you've got to make sure you are praying for your kids. I have an app on my phone. It'll probably come through here in about an hour that's going to tell me, it's going to pop up as a reminder, pray for him as future husband. I've been doing that every day for the last four years. Just as a, it just comes up. I'll be driving, I get a buzz, I look, that's it. God, be with Avery, help him to be the man he needs to be. I know it's going to help. I know it's going to help. I'm a faithful Christian. I know that when I pray to God, He answers those prayers in ways that I can't even fathom. 
but we need to make sure we're praying for our kids. Praying for our spouse. We, we didn't, you know, this is a men's day, we're, we, and it's not just for dads. We're talking about as the home. You talk about as granddad. You talk about as grandpa or, or uh, you're the husband or, or just being a man. You know, you have these responsibilities. You know, but the biggest thing you can do is you need to start praying for your kids when they're small. You need to, you need to never stop praying for your kids. You need to never stop praying for your kids. Because here's the thing. One day, when you hear your kids pray, and they pray specifically for you, you're going to cry. You're going to cry because you're going to feel that your child is standing before the throne of the Almighty bringing up Dad's name to God. That's when you see the importance. When they pray for you, that's when you feel that weight of making sure that you have been praying for them. Sadly, I think that's our, that's our last resort. Well, there's nothing we can do but pray. Well, doesn't that sound awful? I know we intend that, that to be, we, we think that that sounds like a good thing. All we can do is pray. Guys, that's the first thing we can do. That should be the first thing we do, the middle thing we do, the last thing we do. You know, we all need to be more involved in a prayer life. And not a formal prayer like we lead here or like the brother did, which is great. We need that. We need gut-wrenching prayers for God to be with our kids and hope that the lessons you've taught them stick with them. Somebody to drive the bus. You got to have a family altar. There's got to be some sense of urgency because you only have them for a short period of time. And you've got to have callous knees that show proof you've been praying for your kids. If you want to have godly families, it doesn't happen by accident. It's going to be intentional. It's going to be planned. It's going to be deliberate. It's going to be premeditated. I didn't say it as much as I thought I would. But those four things, it's the same thing. Deliberate, planned, premeditated, on purpose, intentional, however you want to do it. It's not going to happen by accident. You have to do it on purpose. And I know you want to, but it's like, you know, I, I, we do it every day. And I, I had purposed in my heart that I was not going to eat a donut when I got here. Because I knew you was going to have pastries. But when I saw that blueberry filling, you know, I messed up already. I've already messed up. And that's the way we are with a lot of other things in our life. But the good news is we can always start over. We can always start, start fresh. Deliberate, planned, premeditated, intentional. Drive the bus. Get your altar. Intent and urgency. And pray.
Let's pray. We'll close this first session. God, we thank you so much for the day. We thank you so much for these men, their willingness to be here today, to learn how to be better men in the church, leaders of the church, fathers, husbands, grandpas. Father, we just ask a special blessing on all these men here and their families. We pray for our country, Father, and we pray for godly men. Godly men to be dads in this country that will make sure that we teach your word to our kids so that when years go by that our generations after us won't forget what you've done for us. Forgive us, Father, and keep us motivated today to learn more about how we can be better men of the church and leaders in the church and train for the future generations. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Take a little break.